Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin, the podcast is part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to osirispod.com. Check out the vast array of arts and culture and music podcasts they have to offer. That is osirispod.com. Today's episode features an interview I conducted with Sally Weintraub, a fellow of the British Psychoanalytical Society and a founding member of the Climate Psychology Alliance. Sally chairs the International Psychoanalytical Association's Committee on Climate. Her most recent book, which is entitled Psychological Roots of the Climate Crisis, Neoliberal Exceptionalism and the Culture of Uncare, is the focus of this episode and tells the story of a fundamental fight between a caring and an uncaring imagination. The book helps recognize the uncaring imagination in politics and culture and also in ourselves. In this enlightening and important book, she argues that achieving the shift to greater care requires us to stop colluding with exceptionalism, the rigid psychological mindset largely responsible for the climate crisis. People with this mindset believe that they are entitled to have the lion's share and that they can rearrange reality with magical, omnipotent thinking whenever reality limits these felt entitlements. It's truly a captivating book, and for some time now, I've been extremely curious about the mindset of those deeply responsible for the changing climate. And Sally exposes, in depth, how many of these people see the world. Throughout this episode, Sally and I talk about the themes present in Psychological Roots of the Climate Crisis, exploring in depth how exceptionalism is largely responsible for the climate crisis. We explore how lively entitlement powers the will to act for and care for others, how change in demographics are motivating the neoliberal empire to act more manipulative and brutal to hold on to power, and how the climate crisis is affecting today's youth psychologically. Sally and I had a wonderful conversation. It was an honor to have her on discussing this very, very important book. So here it is, my conversation with Sally Weintraub. Thank you again for your time. I really uh, appreciate you making the time. I love your book, and it's, it's it's a pleasure to talk with you about it. Thank you, thank you, Michael. It's so, lovely to be with you. Wonderful. So, um, your book, kind of at its core, it uh, argues that exceptionalism, uh, a rigid, rigid psychological mindset, is largely responsible for the climate crisis, which makes a lot of sense to me. I would love to hear you speak about the role people with this mindset have had in this dire crisis? Well, let, let's take a step back and first of all, locate the mindset because mm. um, uh, in my book, my new book, I'm arguing that it's actually a part, a potential part of all of us. Um, it's, let's go into it a bit, yeah? Mm-hmm, it's, absolutely. Uh, it's that sort of stubborn part of us that uh, 
really putting it very uh, briefly and in a very condensed way, I could describe like this, um, feels uh, an exaggerated sense of entitlement to first uh, uh, believe that I'm entitled to actually um, see myself as an idealized version of myself, mm -hmm. uh, to big myself up in other words. And second of all, I'm entitled to have whatever I want. And thirdly, and crucially as well, I'm entitled not to have to feel in any way troubled, particularly morally troubled, by adopting this position. So I don't have to follow rules if they don't suit me. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, we've all got, well, most of us, unless we're saints, have got a little bit of us like this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see it when uh, you meet a toddler aged about two, um, you know, who's uh, confronting reality and expressing this kind of entitlement when they go into a strop. You know, I'm not going to fit in. Uh, everything's got to be done my way. Mm -hmm. I'm not waiting out the way and uh, I'm in control and so on and so forth. So what I'm, what I'm arguing in the book is it's an ordinary part of our nature. And essentially our nature is divided between that sort of part, it's a corner of narcissism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and another part, which has a very different kind of entitlement. It's an entitlement to care. It's an entitlement to uh, be genuinely curious about the world and want to understand things, to, uh, to understand where one needs to fit in, and uh, an entitlement to love and be loved and to struggle uh, uh, with a sense of community and responsibility. So I'm saying these two parts of us compete and normally um, uh, if things are in balance, our caring part uh, can actually contain and mm -hmm. hold in check the inner exception. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, the book is about a situation where the exception gains the upper hand and finds ways to actually shut down the caring part of the self. So it has its way. Mm. Um, it, it's old in human history, um, but my concentration in the book is on uh, exceptionalism, which is uh, when exceptions gain control of the political and cultural and economic process. Mm. Uh, and my focus in the book is on uh, our era, which is the neoliberal era from the 80s mm. onwards. Uh, yeah. when exceptions really took charge of the political process and uh, gained power in, in a global way. And uh, uh, my book charts um, the way in which they've overridden uh, through this narcissistic kind of entitlement, not to have to observe limits uh, and hubris to, to, to indulge in their hubris. Uh, it, it, gained, uh, it gained ascendancy. I mean, we've been living in the era of uh, uh, exceptionalism, uh, writ large. And the more it's allowed to gain the upper hand, the more it actually uh, undermines the caring part of the self that mm -hmm. can hold it in check, and the more dangerous it becomes. So that's really the, 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 the focus. I'm focusing on uh, our era. And just one more thing, Michael, before we move on. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the uh, roots of the climate crisis um, uh, and adding in the psychology, which is often, often left out, mm. uh, because I think it's important to dig deeper than left-right divisions. 
Yes. Um, you know, if we if we think that we can solve our problems by unseating those who we oppose who are in power at the moment, but we're not going to challenge this um, mindset and work it through not only out there, but inside ourselves and our groups and the culture that imposes, then we're not digging deep enough is what I'm arguing. Because you can find this on the left of politics as well as on the right of politics. But my, my study in the book is on the neoliberal form of exceptionalism. Mm, because absolutely. that's, that's um, you know, been uppermost in our era. Yeah. Okay, so that, that was my yeah. answer. No. Yeah. Definitely, no, you, it, it's, you touched on so many aspects of the book that to me are so fascinating and important. And something I kept thinking about when I was reading your book, especially, and you, you already kind of alluded to it, is just how nuanced people are and how complicated people are. There, you know, there's, there's both sides of people. And it, it's interesting how, you know, uh, you know, we tell ourselves stories to, to allow us to do something. And that's something that some of these exceptions do. And uh, one thing that kind of blows my mind is this idea that they um, omnipotently rearrange uh, reality to kind of uh, allow themselves to, you know, do some of these things. So it made me think about these tools used by these uh, neoliberal exceptions, um, you know, from projection to uh, setting targets, outsourcing the damage and such. And I was wondering if you could speak on some of the methods they use to, um, you know, uh, kind of gain control and, and you, you know, wield their power. Well, it's a, it's a very big question you've asked. Mm. I'm yeah, sure super loaded. I, I apologize. No, it's fine. Mm. I'm not sure how I would break it down. But mm. um, basically, um, the, I'll start one way. The, the middle section of the book, it's like it's engine room, really, mm. is about um, for exceptionalism to stay in charge, uh, it, it must seed a culture. It, it must uh, it must alter the way people see things. So um, uh, central to this is that I talk about the culture of uncare because mm -hmm. neoliberalism in our era has seeded a culture of uncare, and it works by essentially uh, uh, appealing to seducing us, seducing our own inner exception that would love to get going mm -hmm. and feel very self important and so mm -hmm. on. Uh, to uh, encourage us to uh, to uh, consume, to uh, to feel that we're very self-important because we're worth it, you know, in the line of that L'Oreal ad, uh, that brilliant L'Oreal ad. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, so it appeals to our inner exception and boosts it through education, mass media, advertising, language framing. I mean, the central part of the book goes as a chapter uh, go going into each of these aspects of mm -hmm. what I call the culture of uncare. It's a culture that is not just uncaring, but it tries to separate us from our caring part by boosting our inner exception mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. by undermining our caring part. Um, and so uh, that it does by... Um, uh, uh, how can I go into this? It, it undermines our caring part, first of all, in very blatant ways by vilifying care. You know, I don't know if you recognize this, but, you know, we have um, um, a sort of a, a culture that looks down on care. 
Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. much more savvy and smart to big yourself up. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's much less savvy and smart, apparently, to feel vulnerability, to recognize our dependencies, to uh, look out for each other. Uh, you know, we've had all kinds of names like, uh, you know, the, the, the Shawls and sand, uh, Sandals Brigade. Mm -hmm. You know, there's yeah. a vivification of care that goes it's on. It's looked at as a sort of weakness. It's a weakness. Yeah. It's a weakness that we ought to get rid of, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's disparaged. And so, and that's in the general culture. I mean, interestingly, um, during COVID, that's been really challenged, actually, because mm -hmm. people have become so much more aware of their de dependence on care, you know, that, that actually what turns the economy around is all the people who are looking after us. Absolutely. Delivering yeah. our food, you know, uh, packing, delivering, bringing the post, uh, helping us in, in actual health centers and so on. The economy actually turns around uh, through care. But uh, it's, it's COVID that's exposed that really, I think. Um, so anyway, there's a culture of uncare that actively tries to get us to dissociate from our caring part. Yeah. So my argument is that it, it, it's embedded at all sorts of levels. So mm -hmm. that if you go into the supermarket, for instance, and uh, you see something that you just want to buy, and you know it's got a very high carbon footprint, suddenly something will happen. And I go into examples where people mobilize their own inner, inner social groups, you know, the groups that we carry around with us uh, and uh, that give us apparent advice, you know, uh, in our minds, as well as actual groups out there mm -hmm. who say, well, don't worry about that. Um, you know, your little tiny action's not going to, if you buy those um, vegetables flown in from across the world with a high carbon footprint, that's not going to make any difference and will mount any kind of argument that will undermine the you that actually knows that it's not, if we all do that, it's not environmentally sustainable. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so um, I've also brought in that part of the culture of uncare and a very important part of it is our social groups, our dominant social groups that sort of keep us in line. Um, that, you know, we, we need our social groups. We're very dependent on them for in all sorts of ways for to, to feel loved, to belong, for our work, for all sorts of reasons. And if the dominant culture of, of our social groups is actually uh, caught up in what I call this um, culture of uncare mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the bubble that it seeds, because what it does is it, it creates an unreal world in which we can uh, indulge our, our, our inner exceptions mm -hmm. and we don't have to count the cost. Because don't forget the third part of being an exception is I deserve not to have to feel any moral qualms for the way that I behave. Yeah, because, uh, because you are ideal or you see yourself as ideal. Exactly. Because, yeah. because I don't have to fit in with the rules. That's for other people. Mm -hmm. Exceptions can break the rules. Yeah, yeah. And they don't have to observe limits, you know. And uh, um, yeah, so, so um, one of the ways that, uh, one of the methods, and there are myriad methods. I go into quite a large number oh, yeah. of them in the book. Uh, but one of the methods is to is to um, use denial and a very particular kind of mm -hmm. denial has been very active with climate change, which is um, called it's a fancy word, but it's called disavowal. Mm -hmm. And here 
it's not so much that you say, no, climate change is a hoax. I don't have to worry about my behavior because climate change is a hoax, um, which is flat out denial, which is uh, called negation. Yeah. It's making something not, you know. Um, uh, this is more subtle. This is where we say, yes, yes, I see climate change is real, uh, but I find psychological ways just to minimize it. Uh, yeah. And here we will find uh, mass media um, will prop up that kind of minimization. You know, even now, if you look across the mass media, um, newspapers, uh, in whatever form it is, legacy um, news or online news, digital, whatever it is, mm. uh, the climate emergency is not being treated with the urgency it requires. Not at all. I almost feel there's a bit of a normalization of the climate crisis and these disasters we're, we're dealing with at this point. It's really interesting that you raise that, actually, because I was mm -hmm. listening to the radio just this morning. I don't know what it's like in the States. I'm speaking from London. Sure. But, you know, uh, our, our Met office now is, is, is saying we're in the phase of extreme weather and it's not going to go back to um, gentle weather anymore. Yep. Uh, it actually announces that with figures. And then the radio takes over and you start getting the impression that, well, this is the new normal. We're just going to have to sort of accept that this is how things are rather than that, you know, we're in an emergency and it's grossly abnormal and uh, we are doing this. Yeah, I feel like the conversation's going to towards uh, like adaption instead of actually, you know, uh, tackling the the you know, fossil fuel issues and the real things that are at the root of this. And it's just like, this is the way it is. And we have to work our way, you know, in this new world, which is, it's, that, I find that very, very disheartening. Um, you know, and, and I guess, uh, you know, just the word disheartening makes me think of something that, that I thought was really important about your book in that, in that you explore, um, you know, the mental struggles so many of us uh, who care in this climate crisis go through. You speak of uh, personal guilt, eco anxiety, eco rage, even and and um, you know it, it, you approach it in such a thorough and honest way, and and you know exploring these feelings that just you know riddle a lot of us. And I was wondering if you could talk some about this this guilt and these these mental struggles that we're we're dealing with in the climate crisis, and also uh, you discussed, and I thought this was very unique, the problem with guilt as examined in your work. work. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. I, I will get on to that, but I want to start with um, what you said, which mm. is you felt disheartened. Yeah, yeah. Because I think uh, this is how the culture of uncare actually works. Um, That's what they want, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the end game there. Uh, you know, yep. Um, uh, First of all, we were told that uh, we didn't have the technology to address the problem. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we'd love to address it, but we just don't have the tech to address it. Actually, we did. And then when it became obvious that we did, the price of solar rocked down and, you know, and so on and so forth. Then the next thing is, yes, we don't have the political will, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and each time one experiences it's sort of a, a, a uh, in the heart. It's really, um, and if you like, um, it's a sort of demoralization. Definitely. If you look at the word demoralization, it's, it has the word moral in it. 
Mm. It's a way of sort of undermining your lively sense of entitlement to a future, to a world that will support our kids and people at the moment across the world, to clean air. These are entitlements. Since when mm -hmm. did we think, you know, um, water, clean water, and a proper stake in the political process? It's as if, um, you know, so I'm very interested in um, being disheartened mm -hmm. because I think that, the, the culture that we live in is so pervasive now that uh, we need to sort of challenge our reactions. So I, I wanted to start just by empathizing because I, I, I know what it is to feel disheartened and no, overwhelmed yeah. and, you know, but I think we need to, if you like, go in for some heart management yeah. and realize <laughs> that, you know, yeah, we're, 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 we're human, we're fragile. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can only cope with so much and so we also need to look after ourselves you know but um i think we're in for very tough times now uh because quite frankly where things have got to now is you know we're facing a tragedy that climate was not acted on that we're beginning to see tipping points now and uh, and, it, and the question now is how do we manage our hearts? How do we manage uh, not feeling overwhelmed? And how do we stay sane? Uh, I, I, I like that you pointed out that the, um, the group Extension Rebellion, they actually provide space for uh, grieving at their events. And I, it, I thought that was interesting that that's part of it. Um, you're right though, it's, it's, it feels like a, another one of those tools we were speaking of just kind of allowing us to break down. but. Um, and because it is, it's super overwhelming. And you actually allude to in your book, which I thought was great, that if you are feeling overwhelmed reading some of these big ideas and, and you know, scary ideas, that you can go to a, a, a section of your book called The New Caring Imagination Today. And there, there's a lot of positivity there, a lot of, I, I, dare I say, hope there. Uh, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit on what you find in that section. Um, I, that was just I love, uh, you know, uh, we talked about it when we were talking uh, the other day, there's uh, a nice arc to your book and um, it, it turned towards the positive in that section of the book. And, and, and I really appreciated that. Well, thank you. Um, I think one of the messages of the book is that it's, it's not as if we can just achieve some new radical position and i'm talking about psychologically and emotionally mm -hmm. and that will be the end of it that actually what we're engaged in is struggle that we we have an uncaring part of us uh, uh inside us in our groups in government and the issue is actually struggle to make sure that we have uh sufficient understanding and frameworks that can help help us hold uncare in check mm -hmm. this is what uncare has been liberated um you know over the last uh, 40 years or so you know neoliberalism is often described as a deregulation of the markets but actually it's a deregulation of the of of uh, the mind of the the collective mind where such that uncare has been allowed to run rampant yeah, you know, so and, well said. Uh, yeah, and so the urgent thing is, and the big question seems to me, is how do we, um, what kind of frameworks do we need to repair? Because some of this, we've actually dismantled frameworks that did care for us, mm -hmm. like government regulations about um, 
you know, toxicity in the environment, um, you know, forms of government that actually held uh, power in check. Um, you know, some of it needs repairing and has been uh, undermined uh, by exceptionalism in the last era, but also we need to beef them up. We need to beef them up so that if there's a struggle between a caring part and an uncaring part, the caring part is going to actually be strong enough to hold, uh, to, keep, to keep the reins on the uncaring part. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the urgent. So in, in that section of the book, I discuss what I call frameworks of uncare. Uh, and I contrast it with frameworks of uncare, mm. um, uh, which is what we're hit, what, what we've seen happening with, with frameworks of care, of care being dismantled over this period. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's a new kind of spirit well, it's an old spirit in one way, but I think it's also reaching uh, for new solutions and new challenges, uh, uh, you know, facing new challenges. Um, but there are lots of examples that I give of a different form of economics mm -hmm. that looks at growth in different ways. You know, you can't have endless growth on uh, a finite planet. Absolutely It's not. actually mad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you believe, unless you actually think it's a good idea uh, to head towards suicide. Yeah. It, it, it's not possible. It's, it's not logical. Um, so if we, if we believe in growth, then uh, we need to reformulate what growth actually means. Uh, it can mean growth in well-being. It can mean, mm -hmm. you know, we can redefine what growth means. And there is an economics and loads of economists now who are working on this very hard you know we need to actually uh, challenge our assumptions so that um, we actually have a sustainable economics that actually factors in the future that is able to think long term and the exciting thing is that what's under very very underreported again in the mass media uh, is all the work uh, being done to develop models that actually uh, uh, would help us to achieve a situation of sustainability. You know, um, we need to understand more about uh, what the limits are. There's been a fantastic explosion of knowledge over this very period, um, you know, since the 60s onwards, uh, in understand in the 70s, really, I'd say, understanding uh, what is needed uh, for a sustainable world. Uh, and I mean by climate, climate, uh, not only in the physical climate, but also the human climate. Mm -hmm. The human climate needs to be sustainable. And one of the things that I increasingly feel is that uh, our current modes of government uh, actually are not really very interested in us as people. No, absolutely <laughs> and, not. And we, we know that, we know that deep down. You know, it's a funny business really, because at the same time as if we have the money to spend, we are um, put on a pedestal and treated as if we're very special, mm -hmm. uh, but actually we're not being looked after. We're not being cared about. And I think there's a deep crisis of, of, uh, of um, you know, uh, respect really. Yeah. And to, to go back to your question before, Please. Uh, in trying to cope with what we really feel about what's happening in the world and how we see our democracies imploding and uh, 
uh, and greed flourishing and large corporations not being held to account and carbon emissions rising and so on. You know, I've lost my, I've got overwhelmed now, I've lost my thread. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it is actually traumatizing. It is. It no is. No wonder I lost my thread. I know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot, a lot to chew on. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up, though. I, I love that idea of redefining what, um, you know, a successful society looks like or, or how to, you know, judge, uh, you know, happiness in the world instead of just monetarily. And just, you know, I just think that's so, so important. And you also, it was so interesting that you noted um, just this change in demographic around the world. What was it? It's like 41%, I believe, of the populations now under 24. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, the a different mindset that, that comes with that. Um, yeah. But also with that, you know, uh, and you point out so well it, that the, this neoliberal empire actually because of that needs to be more manipulative and, and, and more brutal even to hold power. Uh, more of that crazy, you talk about the crazy in there. It's almost like that um, new form of exceptionalism is kind of uh, uh, blossoming and that's just full-blown yeah. like megalomania. It's really wild. Yeah. No, it's true actually. It's um, empires don't give way <laughs> easily no they try to prolong their end you know oh, yeah. and uh, and as the climate crisis bites they are turning to militarization mm -hmm. securitization in the uk they're they're actually limiting protest yep. um it's Here as well. alarming actually mm -hmm. um and uh you know, so we need to keep an eye on all of that. I think what I wanted to say, because I felt I'd left something that, I, out that I'd wanted to say yeah. about how we're feeling about all this, because mm -hmm. we need to pay a lot of attention to how we're feeling. And the kind of society that, that we, we would hope for is two very basic things uh, that we need from government. We need a government that actually makes us feel safe and we need a government that actually uh, we can trust in, and yeah, what we and yeah. we what we've got instead is and I know I'm generalising, but there's too of much course. of this. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is government that is actually heading us to uh, 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 environmental disaster, which we're already seeing the signs of, and and not acting, so we don't feel safe, and yet it's telling us that everything is fine. Uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit like the three little pigs and the big bad mm. wolf. You know, we're, we're being told we can live in a straw house mm -hmm. and that, that'll do fine. Yep. But it won't do fine. We need a brick house where uh, we, we can see actions being taken uh, that, that are actually commensurate with the reality. That would calm us down and also and be, make us feel less traumatized. And also we need to uh, uh, confront the culture that actually um, gets us to live subtly with lies, mm -hmm. with minimizing, with getting rid of the violence in the picture, you know, with, with um, persuading us that, you know, we can have a nice day uh, and everything's fine, you know, um, but it's not trustable. And I think people are waking up to this. So, um, you know, uh, I think that uh, the current forms of government have actually are, are leading to really a mental health crisis, yeah. not only because they're, they're, they're damaging the, they're leading to ecocide in the external world, mm -hmm. um, 
but because they, they are overburdening people with too much trauma, which is a very ugly thing when you look at it, you know. Absolutely. Except it's like to feel very ideal, but mm -hmm. um, whenever you get this kind of idealization, there's always an ugly hidden side to it. Anyway. Um, I, have an, um, I, have a, I have a 10 year old daughter and I was wondering just how, um, you know, cause I mean, these children, the children now are growing up in this era where the climate bubble is, has bursted and, and, you know, they're actually, you know, their, their youth is spent in this period of time where we're dealing with this fallout of climate change. And I was wondering if you spent time uh, in thought about what it must be like, or, or you know, what, what they're dealing with the uh, uh, younger generation coming up in this time period. Well, I'm glad you raised that because, you know, I, I'm spending more and more of my time thinking about that. And uh, it's very, very painful. Um, you know, I, I actually think that from what I've learned and also talking to uh, colleagues who are working on this area, um, one of them is someone called Caroline Hickman, who's mm -hmm. been working on uh, doing research on what children feel about the climate emergency. Oh, wow. um, they, the children tend to be more in touch with reality than, than their parents and the grown-ups. I'm being very much on average here, of course. I that makes sense that. to me, though. You know, it's their world. They're, yeah, they're, totally. you know, children are very sussed. I mean, children yep. from quite a young age. They get it. Yeah, they get it. They yeah. really get it. And yeah. they've they're far more in tune uh, with what's going on than we give them credit for. They also, in a way, little children, depends how old, I mean, your daughter's 10, mm -hmm. but little children, just for a moment, are very, very close to nature, Yeah, uh, most of them. Mm -hmm. uh, they love nature and they're very concerned about nature. They don't see the difference between animals and humans. Um, you know, they, they, uh, they love animals. They're very concerned, and uh, and I think, you know, and certainly by the age of about seven, uh, a lot of children are really worried, and uh, I, I'm struggling to write on this at the moment. And I think it's an absolute tragedy, really. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the one of the tragedies, one of the aspects of the climate tragedy. Uh, and it never needed to be like this. I mean, we're, we're in this situation, basically, uh, one of the main reasons is that the oil industry has lied to us and put billions into um, yeah. disinformation. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's terrible. But anyway, yeah. here we are. And uh, so what I would say is that some adults say that well, my children don't talk about climate. Let's talk about th that group. Well, some of them may not be thinking about climate. However, there is a group of children who um, are actually feeling traumatized and alone. Oh yeah. Uh, about what's going on. And one thing we know about trauma is that traumatized people, unless they feel very secure that you're going to listen to them, really listen to them they won't talk to you mm -hmm. and yeah. uh you know um this climate colleague of mine was telling me that uh, a school for instance this is not 10 year olds like your daughter but 14 year olds mm. um had asked her to come and talk to the kids there uh, about climate anxiety and when she spoke to them they said 
they'd actually asked for her individually. They'd found her online and they said they'd asked to have her because they can't talk to their parents. Because what happens with their parents is their parents find one way or the other to shut them down. Um, and this, you know, what a thing to be doing to our kids to be leaving them so alone with these big worries. Uh, and, they've, and a lot of them are very worried and are expressing it. And, um, you know, um, somebody told me her son had um, been doing a, a project on the Amazon and was in absolute pieces because was saying, um, told her that, well, uh, you know, we've been told that the Amazon is in trouble. Now he's in contact with reality. The Amazon is in big trouble. Absolutely. It's now emitting more carbon than it's absorbing. I saw so that the other day. That's mind blowing. That's that's really intense. Yeah. And so, you know, this this kid who's six years old understands this. And uh, his parent is telling me about this. And uh, she's in tears. And she says, what can I do? And, uh, and she says, I can't talk to him because I'll start crying. Now, I said, you know, I don't think it matters if you cry. What's wrong with crying with him? Yeah, yeah. You know, so you see, now there's a whole area here because I think parents who do want to talk to their children um, feel very difficult about it. You mm -hmm. know, and, and another person said to me, um, uh, their granddaughter had said to them, our life's not going to be as good as your life, is it? And the grandmother felt wow. absolutely paralyzed, didn't wow. know what to say. And you see, there we go. What packed into that? Guilt, helplessness, mm -hmm. you know, but we've got to start telling kids the truth. Yep. You know, filtrating it against their ages, but a 10-year-old needs help to know the truth, and even a seven-year-old needs help to face the truth. And we also, I think really importantly it's no use telling them the truth and then carrying on acting in our own lives as if uh, the problem's not really there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we need to help them by actually being by changing ourselves by taking what actions we can by reducing our emissions that that i think would actually um really show them that we take them seriously and that we're not just sort of lifeboat and ditching them to be the ones you know who are going to be cast overboard and this is what this is the point we've got to now it's it's unbelievable really that we've mm -hmm. got to this point but i think um so i would say um listen out very carefully for any sign of any worry about climate and take it seriously and give give your kids the space to open it up and uh and listen to them and don't lie to them don't try and falsely reassure them it's not going to help them because they're I, probably more aware of the situation than uh us old us older people are i couldn't agree more that's that's so well said and such such sound advice um i would love all the listeners to know that you know, we touched on so many topics here and, and bounced around a little bit, but I feel like we haven't even, uh, you know, jumped into a lot of what's in this book. There's so much. I, I really feel like this is a, a, a manual that kind of really encompasses so many of the angles and so many important angles 
with this this concern and i just find it so impressive and just such a wonderful wonderful read and i i could not recommend it more and and sally thank you so much for um uh, taking the time and exploring some of these topics here it it, it 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 was wonderful to talk to you about this thank you very much michael i've i've really enjoyed it thank you though half of life is gone for good and we haven't acted as we should you feel it in your heart of wood that this is far from over shoreline's gone and maps destroyed livelihoods dissolved and void entire languages unheard and still it's far from over Be sure you teach your kids to swim and navigate by stars above the fate of landlocked life is grim when you ignore our will to love when all that's left is sea and sun a lonely voice says all's not done it's your child who will be the one to sing it's far from over a traveler upon the sea sings it's a sailor's life for me i now embrace eternity cuz this is far from over You never know what she will find when we are dead and she is sailing nor what new thoughts will cross her mind as wind blows in her hair gone the rocks and sea will still roll on and new wild creatures will be born yes this is far from over the whole world's far from over Osiris. this podcast is in the loop the legion of osiris podcasts Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.